Well, this morning we are continuing our series looking through the book of 2 Timothy together. And uh, we've called this series Fan the Flame because this is at the heart of the message of which Paul is trying to share with his friend and mentee, Timothy, um, but also with us as his church today as well. Uh, As Paul wrote this letter, we've uh, said in previous weeks that he's coming to the end of his ministry. He's been arrested. Um, He's effectively on death row, um, all because he just kept on talking about Jesus. As we've heard over the last couple of weeks, even in different circumstances that Paul found himself in, his passion and his heart for the church and for sharing the good news of Jesus never waned and always stood firm. In this letter, Paul is writing to Timothy to prepare him for a new season in the life of the church. Uh, Paul's ministry might well be drawing to a close, uh, but the good news of Jesus never ceases. Uh, It goes on from generation to generation. The message of Jesus can never be contained to just one point in time. And so Paul passes the baton on to his friend Timothy and encourages him to fan into flame the gift that God has given to him, that the church might continue to reveal the good news of Jesus throughout the world. So we're going to pray. We're then going to read uh, today's passage, which is... uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 13. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to that. The words will be on the screen. You've got sermon notes if you want to use them in person, and they're also available in the church hub if you're joining us online. But before we go any further, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it reveals who you are. And so, Lord, this morning we... uh, pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would reveal the wonder and the majesty of who you are, and set that fire in our hearts that we might continue to worship you and praise you and live our lives for you, our Lord and our God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 13, and I apologize in advance if I butcher some of the names in this. Uh, Ask someone more more capable than me how to pronounce them later. But uh, let's listen to the word of God together. What you heard from me, Paul says, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermones. Uh, May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphus, uh, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when when he was in Rome, He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. When we looked at the church in, or or the letters to the church in Revelation just before Easter, 
uh, you may remember that the majority of these churches that Jesus writes a letter to in this prophetic vision um, were challenged um, by Jesus uh, in his letters that he shared. And he didn't challenge them because they were losing their faith. But instead, he challenged them because of the way that they had drifted in living out their faith. Ephesus, for example, if you remember, was the church that had drifted from being a church that was defined by love. A number of the churches were warned about the danger of drifting from good doctrine, from living the way that Jesus had taught them to live, um, o- over time. Over time, we can find ourselves very easily drifting from who we once were to who we are now. But Paul wants to ensure to that the church is a church that never drifts in its message, in its identity. He wants them to remain grounded and to remain anchored in Jesus. Last week, we heard how Timothy was encouraged to not be ashamed of Jesus or or his friend and mentor, Paul. And today, Paul encourages Timothy to remain grounded in Jesus, to not drift, but to stay true to him. Paul doesn't want Timothy or the church to drift, but to remain true to Jesus and to who he has called them to be. It's as we remain grounded, as we stay close to Jesus, that the church is empowered. It's as we remain grounded that the flames of the Spirit will be fanned into flame in the life of the church. So the question as we come to look at this passage was, well, how do we remain grounded? How do we stay close to Jesus? How do we not drift over time. And Paul starts by saying to Timothy that he is to, if, the, if he is to remain grounded, then he needs to start off by valuing the gospel. It sounds so simple when we think about it, but we can't be the church of Jesus without keeping true to Jesus, without valuing the impact that he has had on our lives. So Paul encourages the church that what they heard from him, they should keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. But what is sound teaching? What had the church heard from Paul? Well, this phrase, sound teaching, I think today in the church can often carry with it a lot of baggage uh, in the church. Um, The New Living Translation here I find much more helpful than the NIV where it calls this sound teaching, wholesome teaching instead. Uh, The Greek word that Paul uses here is the same word that is used in the Gospels when Jesus heals someone, when he made them whole again. When Jesus healed, the lame man was able to walk again. The leper could reintegrate into society. The dead came back to life. This is the message of who Jesus is. He came to make us whole, to restore us, to refill us, to to fulfill our lives and to give us life. That's the message of Jesus. 
Sound teaching is not about being judgmental and pious and intellectual, but Paul wants the church to teach and demonstrate to people how they can live in a way that makes them whole. Good, sound, wholesome teaching is that which gives us life. Wholesome teaching lifts up our eyes from where we are to where God wants us to be. It enables us to meet with Jesus, to experience the new life that he offers to us all. Sometimes there's this perception that sound teaching can suck the joy out of life. But actually a much better understanding is that sound teaching gives us joy. Joy is not just a nice thing to have as a follower of Jesus, but it's at the heart of discipleship. It's the fruits of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit that God gives us joy. Often the culture we live in questions the teachings of the Christian faith. Why can't I sleep with who I want to? Why should I give generously? Why should uh, I forgive? Why shouldn't I gossip? Why can't I drink as much as I want? Why does it matter who I say that I am? It just sucks the joy out of who I feel, want to be and the way that I want to live my life. The Christian faith is not a pious rule book. Jesus came that we might have life and life in all its fullness. Jesus wants us to be whole. But if we are to experience that wholesome life, we need to live according to his teachings, to the example that he has set for us. Living any other way will only lead to us longing and looking for more because we won't find wholeness anywhere other than in the presence of Jesus and his teachings. Paul wants the church to recognize and and value, as he says in verse 14, the good deposit that we have received. The New Living Translation calls this a precious truth that we've received, and the New English Bible calls it treasure that we are entrusted with. And whether we define this as a deposit or as truth or as treasure, we can see that whatever it is that we have been given, it is something that is precious and something that is valuable. This is not the first time that Paul has talked to us about having treasure. Just listen to what he says to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think the words will be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along. Therefore, Paul says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving aught for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is temporary, for what is seen is temporary, sorry, but what is unseen is 
eternal. In Jesus, we have something that is so valuable. We have the treasure of God's mercy, the treasure of God's glory being displayed through Jesus that we might see him and know him. We have the treasure of the all-surpassing power of God. Just take a moment to let that thought drop into your mind. We have the all-surpassing power of God given to us. That is treasure to behold. We have the treasure of hope for the future that will never be taken away, that will never leave us disappointed. This treasure has been given and entrusted to each one of us here today, to all of us who follow Jesus. It's given to us. We do not own it. We have not earned it. It's been entrusted to us. And so we have, so whilst we've received this gift, we assume responsibility for what we have received. This morning, how valuable is Jesus to us? How valuable is Jesus to you? Do you recognize the treasure that we have been given, that we have been entrusted with, the power of God in you? knowledge of the glory of God? Do you value the teachings of Jesus in your life? Do you see his teaching as a set of rules that suck joy out of your life? Or do you recognize the joy that he gives and the the new life that has dwelt within you that Jesus has blessed you with? Do you want to embrace the way of life that leads to wholeness Or do you want to turn away from it? This is the good news of Jesus. We have something so valuable, so precious. Good news that makes us whole. Will we value it? Will we treasure it? To remain grounded, not only do we need to value the gospel, but we also need to be on guard and protect what we have been given. Twice in verse 14, Paul says to Sir Timothy that we need to guard what we have received. Now, I imagine that most of us here today, unless we were having a moment where we rushed out of the house so keen to get to church that we forgot, but I'm sure that most of us, when we left our homes this morning, then turned round and locked the door. Why do we do that? Because we value what is in our homes and we want to protect it from those who might want to come and take it away from us. In the same way, when we value what we have in Jesus, the only thing, uh, it is only right that we want to protect that too, that people might not take it away from us. Where there is value, people will always try and take and diminish that which we have received. Remember the example of the church in Revelation. Again, these churches had the same treasure uh, that we have today, that Paul is telling Timothy to embrace. But that treasure was under threat from those who wanted to destroy it and take it away for themselves. So how can we lose our treasure? And how can we be on guard? I think one of the easiest ways that we can lose our treasure 
is by not recognizing the threat. And therefore, the easiest way to protect it is to recognize the threat. Just putting our head in the sand and thinking that everything will be okay will not protect what we value. It will not protect the good news of Jesus that lives inside us. There are those who would love nothing more than to lead us away from the treasure that we find in Jesus. This is what Satan loves to do. He does it time and time again. He started it in Genesis uh, chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and all is well until the serpent comes and leads them astray because they weren't prepared to recognize the threat of the misleading lies of the evil one. The good news is that we don't have to do this on our own, though. We don't have to recognize this threat and stand firm in the face of it on our own. The second half of verse 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit who lives in us will help us to guard our treasure. Remember that Paul is not writing this letter to an experienced, strong, courageous leader. Timothy was well recognized in human, term, in human terms of being quite an inadequate leader. He was young, he was prone to illness, he was naturally timid. He was not the kind of person who would stand up to facing off against huge pressure all on his own. But God never leaves us to fight our own battles in our own strength. Instead, he gives us help. His spirit lives within us and empowers us to protect that precious treasure that we have all received. I wonder this morning, where might we need to be on guard? Where might we, or what might be hindering us from embracing the full wonder of the treasure that we have found in Jesus that is making us whole? How might you need to stand up and protect yourselves from those who are trying to lead you astray out of wholeness into something that is further away from Jesus? This morning, may we once again welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, that he might lead us, that he might guide us, that he might strengthen us, that we might be on guard, that he might prompt us to show us where we need to stand firm, where we need to be on guard, and that he might give us the strength to stand firm in face of any opposition that we might face. The last few verses of this chapter not only include some difficult names to say, but they also uh, show to us the value of community in helping to keep us grounded in Jesus. The world uh, that Paul operated in was a shame and honor society. So in the eyes of the world, a prisoner who was on death row was about as dishonorable a person as you could possibly find. We don't know anything about Phalaegus or Hermides. I've said those two differently numerous times this morning already. Uh, but this is the only time that they are mentioned in the Bible. Um, and it would appear that they were vocal leaders, possibly in the church in Ephesus, which was a church that Paul knew well. And it was likely that they were sort of possibly causing some dissent or some difficulty um, for Paul um, whilst he was in prison. 
Paul had spent a lot of time in the province of Asia, where the church in Ephesus is based. Um, And in Acts 19, we're told that he had a fruitful ministry there. And that over the course of two years, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. This was a great place of life and vibrancy, of wholeness and, and the gospel being shared. But then we don't know what changed. This place that had been so fruitful for Paul and Timothy had now turned round and deserted him. Maybe they were drifting away because, or drifting away from the example that he sent them, that he'd set them, just because people move over time. Maybe Phalegus and Hermenes uh, had started to question some of his teachings. Maybe the pressure of Paul being in prison and the shame of being associated with him had just become too much for the church. They thought, you know what, it's easier to cut ties with Paul than sort of be tarnished by being associated with him. Yet as the whole of the province of Asia uh, turned away from Paul, Onesiphorus remained faithful. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul. He wasn't ashamed of Jesus. He recognized, as Paul says in later or in the book of Philippians, that he was in chains for Christ. So he stood by Paul. As Paul languished in prison, Onesiphorus went on and looked or went out and searched for him. He refreshed him, he gave him food and water but also refreshed Paul's spirit. The reason that Paul remained grounded was because Onesiphorus was willing to stand with him because of the community that surrounded him. How easy it can be for us to drift when times get difficult, when following Jesus becomes costly, when people start to treat us differently because of who we are associated with when they teach and show us or what they teach and show us doesn't fit with what we want to do how easy it is to quietly drift away onesiphorus is a great illustration of all that paul had been longing for the church to demonstrate onesiphorus valued jesus he valued Paul. He was on guard for anything that might become, come between him and Jesus. So even with Paul in prison, he remained faithful. And he stood with his friend that the gospel and the good news of Jesus might continue to be shared. I wonder for each one of us, who are the Paul-like figures in our lives? The people who help us to know who Jesus is the people who help us to know and understand the value of the good news of Jesus, who sets you a good example of what it's like to follow Jesus. How might we build good, valuable communities that help us to remain grounded and not tempted to drift away over time? Where might you be tempted to withdraw from those who encourage you to live for Jesus in that way, like the church in Asia was. Can I encourage us all today to see again the value of community, to not let anything come between us and Jesus, 
And one way that we can do that is by keeping close to people who help us to stay close to him. For the church to fan the flame and to be empowered to be the church that Jesus has called us to be from generation to generation, we need to keep close to the source of the flame. We need to stay close to Jesus and not drift away. We need to value him and value the wholeness of life that he gives, the good news of the gospel. We need to be on guard from those who might lead us astray and rely on his spirit to stand firm. We need to stay close to people who help us to know Jesus and resist the temptation to turn away when things get difficult. For the church to fan into flame, we need to remain grounded in Jesus. But there's one thing that we can always know. We might get it wrong. We might drift away from Jesus from time to time. We might let down our guard. But Jesus will never drift away from each one of us. He is always faithful. If we remain grounded in him, not only will he find the flame of his church, but we can know with certainty that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never let us down. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we praise you and we thank you for the treasure that we have in Jesus. That in Jesus we find the wholeness of life. That we have the gospel of good news. Lord, this morning we we pray again that your spirit would come and continue to reveal the wonder and power of that which we have received in Jesus. That we would hold that treasure and be more and more amazed with the wonder and beauty of it each day. Maybe there are those of us today who have have drifted from that wonder of the treasure that we've received. Maybe there are those here today who hear this talk of being made whole and want to embrace that for themselves. And if that's you today, I just encourage you to welcome Jesus into your life, to receive the joy and the wholeness that he offers. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have blessed us with. Would we continue to be on guard? Would we continue to protect what you have given? Lord, we thank you for those who stand around us here in this congregation and elsewhere who help us to continue to stand firm living our lives for you. Would you encourage us to, or would you continue to empower us and encourage us to spur one another on that we might live each moment in the light of who you are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.